Thank you, Adam. Good morning. Now, this morning we are reflecting on what makes for great faith. Now, why don't we pray as we do that? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful and perplexing encounter in the life of Jesus. And as we reflect on it, please, would you teach us what it was about this woman that made Jesus say of her that she had great faith. Father, for those of us who have no faith, may this be an introduction to how to relate to Jesus. And for those of us who are his followers, would you teach us today how to trust him all the more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible uses lots and lots and lots of different words to describe faith. Here's just some of them. Little faith, weak faith, strong faith, abiding, enduring, bold, rich, obedient, steadfast, dead faith, precious, common, unfeigned, working, all. And of course, in today's passage, one of the rarest of them all, great faith. Uh, the, the, the word is mega, there you go, mega faith, just to make it sound a little bit more modern. What is it about this person that when she came to Jesus, Jesus said of her, you have great faith? We, we need to understand it and we need to share in it because faith really matters. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard that very important talk Joe talk gave us, right? That religion and ritual cannot make us right with God. Nothing that comes in is going to make you holy or defile you. The problem is inside. What we need is a new relationship, not religion, not ritual, but relationship and it's a relationship that's born out of faith. Let me show you this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, You are saved by grace, that is as a, as a present, as a gift, through faith, through trusting, through depending upon God. This is not from yourselves, not religion, not ritual. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, of course, if you cast your mind back even further and you go back another week before, two weeks, I mean, we're pushing it here, but you know, we can manage that far, can't we? You remember Joe telling us about faith, that it is not illogical and it's not a crutch. Faith is based in reality and it is trusting the one who is trustworthy. And so this week, really, we're looking at one example of what it means to have this sort of faith want to learn from her example, the sort of faith that we need to have, that you need to have, if you are to receive what Jesus gives. Now, I've got four aspects that I want to tell you about this morning, and if you've got a handout, you'll see there's a, a little bit of a fill-in-the-blank there for you, for those who like something to keep them awake as we go through the sermon, which, of course, you don't need help with that, do you? Here's the first one. Great faith often requires great need. Great faith often requires, it's born out of great need. And this woman certainly had it, didn't she? Have a look with me again at the story in Matthew 15 from verse 21. When Jesus left where he was, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David.' My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. 
Now, let's just back up a little bit. Let's get a sense of the context of what's happening. Jesus has left where he was. He had been teaching in the Jewish regions. Crowds kept flocking to him. Wherever he went, they just poured in. News got out. Jesus, this is before social media, right? So the word would spread slowly, then quicker and quicker and quicker. And people would just, wherever Jesus was, they'd flock to him. And Jesus has left there and withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. I think he's having a bit of a day off. <laughs> Maybe a week off. I mean, he's travelling kind of somewhere between 50 and 100 kilometres, right? Pre-cars. You think from here in a straight line to about Katoomba, right? That, that's the distance that he's travelled. In Matthew's Gospel, it tells us he wants to go and be alone. He didn't, he didn't want anyone to know where he was. It's just time for a breather. And his disciples were with him, so, you know, he's off with his mates, whether he's going to teach them or rest himself. But in the midst of this time of withdrawal, a Canaanite woman finds him and starts wailing. You ever heard someone wail before? Everyone's awake, so I can't demonstrate. It's a bit of a shame, really. But anyway... Just this sense of someone following you, just shouting, crying out. Not, I mean, if you've got small children, you'll know exactly what that's like, right? But here's this woman, help me, please. You are the only one, Lord, son of David. Help, my daughter is in torment. I don't know, has she exhausted all her other options? Nothing left but Jesus? And all she can do is wail. You know, he wants to shut the door and go away. He wants to go into the quiet room and just rest. He maybe wants to go fishing with the boys and just be left alone for a little while. Great faith is so often born out of great need. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It's muscles. Faith is like a muscle. You exercise it, it gets bigger. If you have great need, then you learn to trust. I, um, I, I trust ropes. I, I don't have any particularly real reason to trust them, but I do in general, but not a whole lot. When we go on holidays, we often hang up the hammock, and of course I tie it up, and, and, and you've got to test it before you let anyone else get in. And you know how that first time you get into the hammock? You know how it goes, right? It's, it's very kind of slow, just you, you slowly put your weight down, right? Is it going to stay? Is it going to... Uh, the ropes are... I, I haven't had a great need, so I don't have a great faith in them which is very different to people like this. I'll give you a moment just to understand the context of that picture. Right, they're on a cliff face, it's vertical. They're just hanging around on a bed that's held up by four ropes. They trust those ropes, don't they? Quite substantial. I mean, who, who would have a go at this, by the way? I'm just curious. Who would, who would? Joe and Ali, right, the two sitting in the back row, of course. Now, they have a need to trust those ropes. I mean, they've put themselves in that situation, right? But the situation they are in requires significant trust. Great need produces great faith. Now, I wonder so often for, for many of us, this might well be the biggest barrier to faith, that we don't necessarily think we have a great need. There's so many of us, right, life's okay, I'm fairly comfortable, 
Maybe we're wealthy enough to be okay, middle class or richer even. This is true of Christians, people who aren't Christians, true of all of us. Right? What need? My family's doing okay, I've got great friends, my work produces a pace, I, you know, I get by with some nice things, I get to play, I get to work. Even eternity, I'm not too worried about that, I mean, you know, it'll be alright. <laughs> a classic Aussie attitude. So often our faith is anemic or weak because we don't think we have any sort of need. I'll tell you what's why last week's talk was so important. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. It's all on the website. It's so important to show us that our deepest need isn't just the things of this world. I'm a bit hungry. I don't have quite enough money. The bills are due. My friends are fighting. My family. Those aren't the biggest problems. The biggest problem is our relationship with God. The biggest problem is what comes out from within that shows how desperately needy we are. That shows... Even though life might be peachy for now, our relationship with God is not. Now, of course, you may well have come today very aware of your need. In fact, that maybe that's why you're here, because you've come with a great need. Whether that's the broken past that still haunts you, the damaged relationships, that are buzzing in your mind, the, the messed up life you find yourself in, that you, you're far from God and you know it. You may well have hit rock bottom. And I'll tell you what, if that's you, you feel like there's nothing else left, you've come to the right place. Just like she did, in the midst of need, she went and found the one who could meet that need. You see, here's the second aspect of great faith. Great faith is properly directed. Great faith is properly directed. Have mercy on me, she says, Lord, Son of David. I take it she had tried everything else. I mean, if you're at this level of desperation, you will go to anyone. You will seek out anything, right? Her own gods. I mean, she's a Canaanite woman from Tyre and Sidon. They, they had their own set. These weren't Jewish people. They didn't worship the Jewish god, Astarte, or whoever their god was. I take it she'd gone to the temples and done the praying. She'd tried the religious rituals. She'd gone to whatever their version of a doctor was. None of it had worked. You see, sensible faith Great faith is placed in the right object, trusting in the trustworthy. In fact, I think for this woman, it wasn't even just that she had no other options left. It wasn't that kind of, oh, I've tried everything, I guess I might as well go and try Jesus too, see if he's any better. No, no, she knew that he was the right person to approach for this problem. Keep a finger in Matthew 15 and come back to Matthew chapter 4. That is a few pages earlier. Matthew chapter 4. Much earlier in Jesus' ministry, when he was wandering around Galilee, doing the things that he did, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, 
and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Right? He's, he's wandering around, he's starting, the crowds are gathering, the fame is spreading. What happened next, verse 24? The news about him spread throughout Syria, which included that region of Tyre and Sidon. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. And large crowds followed him. You see, this woman well knew, her neighbours maybe had gone, her friends had gone, her family had gone, word had already spread, even in this further part of the world. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus is bringing about the kingdom of God. It wasn't that she was trying one last ditched attempt at something, at anything. No, she was trusting in the trustworthy. Maybe she was one of the ones who'd gone. Who knew? Aware of Jesus and what he was doing, she saw the opportunity. And so she turned her back on her own idols, her own gods, her own religion, her own whatever it is that she was coming from, and she turned to this one, the Jewish king, son of David, son of the great king, Lord, the bringer of God's kingdom. I wonder what it cost her. I mean, this wasn't a a secret, private little trip to the doctor, was it? She's, she's wailing, she's crying out to him. The neighbours know what's going on. She wasn't somehow trying to hide the fact that she'd come to Jesus. I wonder what it cost her. So often when you change what you trust in, it comes at very great cost. Maybe you have to turn your back on the religion of your parents. they may well see that as complete and utter betrayal. That you haven't just betrayed the God, but that you've betrayed them. What did it cost her to turn away from the family, the friends, to be ostracized? You did what now? You went to who now? You became a Christian? What do you think you're doing? I wonder what it cost her to herself to stop thinking I can do it on my own and to depend on someone else. You see, great faith is properly directed and thirdly, it requires a deep humility. Great faith is repentant. Great faith is repentant. That's a bit of another religious word, isn't it? Repent. We are, ben, the concert yesterday had Ben Pakula, and uh, repent was one of the words. Anyone, anyone know what it means? What's the, what's the simple definition of repent? To turn, to turn, right? Turn away, turn around, turn your back on something towards something else. In the Bible, repent is turn your back on sin and come back to God. Turn your back on idols and come back to the living God. It carries with it this sense of sorrow, of of, of penitence, of the humility to recognise I have been going the wrong way and now I must go the right way. 
that sense of I'm not worthy. Did you see what she asks for? A Canaanite woman from that region came and kept, kept crying out, have mercy on me. Please give me what I don't deserve. Please would you be kind. I know I don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coming and saying you owe me, Jesus. I'm not coming and saying somehow I'm good enough and so you have to reward me. No, no. The, the posture she has is one that recognises what she's asking for isn't owed to her. It's not deserved. It's not something she can pay for. Hey, Jesus, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you heal my... There's, there's, no, there's no formula that works there. Great faith is born out of the humility that comes of knowing that you've got a great need, of seeing the one who can meet that need and recognising that you just have to come and ask. There's nothing else to be done. There's no way of strong-arming or forcing or being owed. It's undeserved. It's the mercy of God. But you know what? And this, this is pretty astonishing, really. It's a mercy that God has promised to give. It's not that you come to a capricious God and you say, well, God, if you're in the right mood today, would you please... No, this is a promise that God has made. Listen to how it's put in these words from 2 Peter. The Lord doesn't delay his promise, in this case the return of Jesus, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God has promised that those who come to him will find him. If you come humbly, repentantly, seeking his mercy, you will find it. And he is waiting so that you would come and find it. But I'll tell you what, in that promise we see the fourth aspect of great faith. Right? Great faith is often born out of great need. It has the right object. It's repentant. And fourthly, great faith is persistent. Great faith is persistent. I don't know if it struck you as Joe read it for us. This story is so strange. Anyone else think that? There's just so many bits of it that are kind of weird. These unusual interactions. I mean, he's, he's left Judea. He's, he's left the place where he's meant to be doing his life and his ministry. As this woman comes to speak to him, a Canaanite woman, notice. The Canaanites were the people that were supposed to have been wiped out by God's command. And yet here she is. The one who has the least possible access to God's people comes and starts wailing at him. I mean, that bit's kind of normal. That bit seems to happen fairly often. But then Jesus doesn't even reply. He just ignores her. You wail away all you want. Have a look at verse 23. Listen to the rest of this interaction. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. Right? She's going on so much that the other guys think, we've just got to get rid of this one. Jesus, not even a word. Jesus then replies to the disciples, still not to her, 
I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then what are you doing in Tyre and Sidon? But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He finally answers her, it isn't right to take the children's bread, right, that which belongs to the children of God, and throw it to the dogs, you who are an outsider. Well, yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Can there not be just a little bit of the blessing that spills out from God's people? And Jesus replied, woman, your faith is great, let it be done for you as you want. What do we make of Jesus? It, it seems unusual, doesn't it? I mean, isn't he the one who's full of compassion? Isn't he the one who sees people's need even before they've spoken it and meets it with a word? And yet here it's unusual, isn't it? I take it what Jesus is doing is putting, intentionally putting barriers in her way. She, she has to demonstrate her persistence. She has to demonstrate her faith that she really does trust Jesus to supply her need that she really has come to him for what he offers. I mean, just think of the contrasts for a moment. Just one chapter earlier, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus describes one of his own followers as having little faith. Last week's passage, as Jesus spoke to the crowd, these were people with no faith at all. And yet in comparison... Here is an example of great faith. You know, so many of the people Jesus encountered, and often people who come to Jesus today, come with very shallow faith. It's superficial, a flash in the pan, a moment of joy and rejoicing, and yes, I'll trust, and then by the next day it's waned, it's gone. You come to Jesus, you get what you want, and then you say, so long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> Goodbye. I wonder if Jesus wasn't just a bit sick of it. The crowds who got a feed and then left. The individuals who came were healed and not seen again. Those who found what they wanted and then just disappeared. I wonder if this isn't why he's gone for a breather. Narrow is the gate, says Matthew in chapter 7, and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Remember the parable of the sower. Lots of different soils, and so many of them hear the word of Jesus, come to him very briefly. And whether it's temptations or difficulties or Satan himself, soon they're gone. When Jesus ignores her, she persists. Jesus dismisses her as he talks to the disciples, she persists. Jesus rebukes her directly, she persists. You see, great faith understands the great need, it sees the one who can meet that need, 
It comes in humility before that one to say, I have nothing to offer, I need what you want to give. And persists, and persists, and persists. Jesus, please, would you give me what I need? Now, you know, what? I want to point out something kind of astonishing from these verses. Jesus was right. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't sent to the nations. This woman who came from outside and wanted to partake in the blessings of the kingdom of God, they weren't hers. That's kind of the strangest thing in this passage. How can an outsider to the promises of God receive God's blessing? How could that be? Well, Christians, we're kind of used to this idea now, aren't we? Because it's true. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. God's plan from the very beginning was to bring blessing to the whole world. It kind of plays out in the next few verses. Verse 29, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He's come back down and around the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there and large crowds came to him. Now, I, I take it it's crowds that have come down from the Gentile regions as well. Like in chapter 4, there's Jews and Gentiles mixed and mingling. Included the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak and many others. They put them at his feet and Jesus healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And they gave glory to the God of Israel. Well, here were these foreigners giving glory to that God because they saw he was the one. Great faith seeks Jesus who brings God's kingdom into our lives. Now just by the way, if, if, if you're a sceptical kind of person, here is Jesus doing truly the miraculous. Now if you're going to take the Bible's witness if you're going to believe this as a historical document, we have every reason to believe it as a historical document. We can't just choose to chop out the bits that don't fit our view of the world. Really what we need to do is allow our view of the world to change. Now let me conclude with, with two little applications for us. Can I speak for a moment to you if you're a Christian? If you are somebody who follows Jesus, you want this great faith, I just want to point out one little example to challenge us. That is, do you have a heart for the lost? Are you somebody who, it kind of hurts you to see people who haven't come to Jesus, who have this deep need and you want them to find what you have found? I think we get a little, a little bit of an example of what not to, to be like in the disciples here. What was it, verse 23? Send her away because she's crying out. Send her away because she's bugging me, Jesus. I don't like her. <laughs> now, of course, we like to think of ourselves as different, right? We like to think of ourselves as, well, that wouldn't be me. I'd be welcoming, Hey? Surely, I'd see someone who's coming to Jesus be like, ah, oh, come in, let me look after you. 
Can I read the Bible with you? Can I pray with you? Can I share Jesus with you? Right? That, that'd be, we like to think of ourselves that way, don't we? It's easy in the abstract, but I wonder, what's the kind of person that you like the least? <laughs> I think we all have different dislikes. Maybe you don't like bossy people or quiet people. <laughs> Maybe you don't like uneducated people. Or you don't like snobs. Maybe you don't like poor people or rich people. Maybe you can't stand those who are self-centred and just want to make every single conversation about them. Maybe you don't like antisocial people. Or just plain smelly people. <laughs> you ever been tempted to just kind of walk away? Yeah, that one, yeah, some, someone else. It's a big church, there's lots of people. Someone else will look after them. I mean, we make excuses, don't we? Someone else will deal with it. I'm, I'm busy, I've got things I've got to do. Well, surely not this person, Jesus. I wonder if there's a little rebuke for us. The disciples couldn't see it. What a, what a woman... Who else does Jesus say of they have great faith? Now, an application for us all, though. The blessings of the kingdom of God come to those with great faith. And this woman's case, as the kingdom of God was breaking in, what it brought was the deliverance of her daughter. What an amazing thing. The kingdom of God is still coming. It's arrived in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's begun into eternity such that the blessings we receive break into this world and are so much more about the next. You want those blessings? Let's try, hang on, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me see if we can improve Joe's day. Who wants to have the blessings of God? Let me hear an Amen. <laughs> right there you go Joe <clears throat> but what it needs is great faith it requires you to recognise your great need and I think if you're sitting there thinking to yourself well, actually I don't really have a great need you've missed it because you do can I, can I put it that way Christian, not Christian alike the need we have is our sin to be dealt with and our eternity secure in Jesus if you're sitting there thinking I don't really have a great need you've missed it let's, let's chat let's talk please let me help you see it because until you see that great need you won't go looking for the one who can meet it that's great faith to come to jesus repentantly i was wrong and now i've come to you persistently you have what i need please have mercy on me let's pray Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for this foreign woman who came to Jesus and who is such an example to us, who found in Jesus what she needed, in the Lord, in the King, in the one who reigns and rules and the one who saves and heals. Please, would you give each one of us great faith? Give us eyes to see and hearts that are humble before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.